Testing, testing. Testing, testing. There we go. Hi, it's Liz, host of the Chit Chat Circus podcast. Thank you for joining me. So if you've tuned in to our recent episode, you'll know a couple things. First, I've started a new series called Food with Friends. Last week, I talked about Thai food and how I was introduced to that by my good friend Derek, how she taught me to cook some dishes, and how I started craving some of those dishes when I was in a country like Italy that just didn't have a lot of Thai food, when it, at least when I was there and in the particular city that I was in, in Florence. So I thought the perfect segue for this episode would be to talk a little bit about my experience in Italy, which was fantastic. And so that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to share some Italian food that I learned to cook and how, you know, it's one of those food cultures in the world that everybody knows about. And so, of course, it's um, uh, one of those bonding opportunities when you go overseas and you get to travel and experience another country through their food. That's one of the things I was always really loving to do. So let me tell you about Italy. I did a study abroad in Florence, um, which is in the north of Italy in the province of uh, Toscana, Tuscany in English. It was uh, back in 2012 to 2014 was when I was there. And so the very first year, my school did a wonderful kind of um, orientation introduction to the to the city and to the country. They would have um, two weeks of language. Uh, some of the classes didn't require any Italian language to go, but they would require you to have at least this two-week starter course. And then, of course, you take Italian lessons throughout the year. But anyways, we did the starter language. They took us on tours around the city, gave us a card that um, gave us access to different museums and things like that. And they invited a bunch of people who had different businesses for tourists and study abroad students to come. One of them was a lady who ran a cooking a cooking school called Cook Eat Italian, I believe. Um, I will check on that and I will put links to that in the description so you guys can check out her Facebook page and webpage in case you're ever in Tuscany and want to take a cooking class. I highly recommend it. But some friends and I were very interested in taking some Italian cooking classes. So we got together, we did a little group thing, and it was a wonderful way to get to know some of these new students that I just met. And so um, some of those people were became very good friends, and we got to. Uh, it, one, it was my roommate, Abby, my friend, Laura, um, Ray, and I think Kirsten was there, and who else was there? Oh, Deadaway. Yeah, so some of these people became very good friends of mine. And it was just a really wonderful experience. And so this host took us to her house. Um, she had her whole kitchen set up um, to do these cooking classes. So it was wonderful to go and see like an actual Italian kitchen and to learn to cook in that kind of setting. And she did the traditional kind of meal progression where you start off with a first dish, which is a, uh, a primi, which is usually a pasta or risotto. Then you go to a secondi, which is usually your meat dish. And then you have a contorni, which is a side dish. And then, of course, for dessert, you have dolce. So for the primi, we did um, spaghetti carbonara. For the secondi, we did polpette, which are these Italian meatballs. The contorni was pepperoni, which is actually, of course, peppers, not the um, the sausage. That's a, a salticia, which is a word that I could never say. I apologize to all the Italian speakers. Salticia, I'm still sure I'm getting it wrong, is a difficult word to say, but that's that's a sausage. 
which is what an American would think a pepperoni is. When Italians say pepperoni, they mean actual peppers in plural. And then for dessert, we had tiramisu, which was one of my favorites. Um, that was a very big thing in the 90s. It was just like the most popular dessert. So I learned to cook it. My grandmother had a cookbook called 365 Chocolate Desserts. And there was a recipe for tiramisu in there. And compared to this Italian recipe, it's actually a very good recipe. Um, it, there's a few things that are different, and I'll go over that when I get to the, the recipe parts. But it was, um, it was a pretty good cookbook. And so I, I thought that was a pretty uh, interesting thing that I'd kind of been cooking in a good way all along. So anyways, back to this wonderful Italian meal. So we start by making the tiramisu. There are eggs and um, ladyfingers. Um, Marsala wine, uh, the instructor said, make sure not to cook with any wine that you wouldn't drink. So the idea of a cooking wine like we have here in the States would never pass muster in Italy. They wouldn't cook with anything they wouldn't eat or drink in the first place. So a good Marsala wine, uh, that, that was one of the differences between the Italian recipe and the 365 recipe. A lot of the American recipes call for something like Kahlua or a coffee-based liqueur. Um, I've made it too with Bailey's in the past as well, but Italians would make mar uh, tiramisu with wine instead, Marsala wine. So that's what we use. I use Marsala wine, and then you have to split the eggs from the yolks and the whites. And if you mess up, this is okay because you can save any of those eggs that you've messed up, and they'll go into the meatballs, the polpette, which is one of the next dishes you'll be making. So that worked. So she had like the whole system all set up. We do the dessert first. We would put that in the fridge so that it would cool for a few hours. And while well, we did everything else. And then next we did the, I can't remember what order we did them in, but we did polpette, which are wonderful. It was a mixture of beef and pork in the meatballs, along with a lot of garlic, some breadcrumbs, and... Uh, Parmesan cheese or um, Pecorino Romano cheese and the eggs and some parsley. So, and you'll notice this dish was well planned out or this progression of dishes was well planned out because the ingredients are all represented in each of the other dishes to some extent. I mean, there's no cheese in the tiramisu, but then there's, you know, the eggs. And the same cheese that's in the tiramisu is in the carbonara, which is one of my absolute favorite things to cook. I love the polpette. We cooked them two ways, and they're both delicious. But the carbonara struck a chord with me. That became one of my absolute favorite dishes to make for the next two years. Sometimes I would have it several days in a row for multiple meals. For lunch and dinner, I would have carbonara. And it didn't hurt that it was 88 cents per serving. It was super, super cheap. And it's absolutely delicious. So the way you make a proper carbonara is you take a pancetta. It's a little square cubed Italian bacon. And you fry that up, get all of the grease out of it, get it nice and, and cooked, and then put that to the side. And while that's kind of cooking, you can have your pasta boiling. Usually it's made with a spaghetti, which is a long round noodle. But of course you can make it with what you have on hand. If you have fettuccine or angel hair or something like that, you could use that too. But traditionally it's a spaghetti noodle. And so have that boiling and cooking off to the side while you're doing this um, Italian cubed bacon. And then in another little bowl, you wanna be mixing some Pecorino Romano cheese, which is a, a hard kind of sharp cheese, kind of like 
Parmesan, but it does have a different taste to it. If you don't have Pecorino Romano, it can be difficult to find here in the States unless you have a very good cheese counter at your grocery store. You can use um, a three cheese blend. You can use Asiago or you can use Parmesan if that's what you have. But if you can find it, Pecorino Romano. Romano, of course, indicates that it is from the Roman region and this is a traditional Roman dish. And so mix in some Pecorino Romano cheese to some eggs. I usually do about, I think it was about two eggs per person. I can't remember. I used to have the ratio down. I'll find the recipe and I'll throw it up on the blog and on the comment section of the, the podcast. But anyways, you mix in these eggs and the cheese and you want that ready to go. So you mix it really well, beat the egg, destroy the proteins, and then once the uh, bacon is done, you have all that grease in the pan, leave that there. And so what you want to do is once the pasta is cooked, you want to drain it and try and like shake off as much water as you can because you're going to be putting that pasta directly into the pan with the grease and obviously too much water and grease is just going to flare up at you. And so you mix that around really quickly, get all the the noodles coated in that grease, and then you want to take it off the heat because you're going to mix in that raw egg and cheese mixture very quickly, and you don't want it to turn into scrambled eggs. So the trick is to not do it while it's still on the heat. So if you have like a some kind of trivet or a, a, a potholder, put it off to the side on that, and then constantly one hand pouring in your egg and cheese mixture, the other hand stir, stir, stir like crazy, stir it that in, and then you end up with this wonderful creamy pasta that is super fresh and delicious. It's not a traditional method of, of um, using it if you add a little bit of parsley on top. My teacher was Sicilian, not Roman, and she always added a little bit of color and flavor. So I used to do that too. If I had parsley to hand, I would add a little bit of parsley for some color. But if you don't have that, it's traditional and perfectly fine if you just want to have it the plain pasta so it's very simple there's not many ingredients you don't need to add salt or anything because the bacon has a lot of salt um so that is basically it for uh, spaghetti carbonara and so it was super simple to make it was incredibly inexpensive especially because in italy i had easy access to these ingredients the pancetta is now like a sort of premium trader joe's or meat counter item uh, so it, it's harder to find the pancetta here in the States, but, um, or the Pecorino Romano cheese. But So I usually end up using a three cheese blend or the Parmesan, like I mentioned earlier. But in Italy, these things were dirt cheap. They were at every single grocery store in the city. And I'd make this all the time. And so I'd make it for my roommates, Stella and Abby. I would invite a bunch of friends to my house, or sometimes they would just come over. They knew that I could cook really quickly and that it wasn't going to cost a fortune. So they'd come over. I had some friend who um, who was always hungry because she didn't have a lot of money to spare. So I'm like, come on over and, you know, have some have some carbonara. So and, and we'd make these big plates and it just, you know, gorge ourselves in my favorite pasta dish. It was wonderful. So I always enjoyed having her over. That was fun. I had another friend, though, who was a um, vegetarian. 
a little bit strict, not vegan, but a stricter vegetarian. So she would eat pasta, but she wouldn't eat, uh, she didn't want to eat the eggs or she didn't want to eat the pancetta. So I'm like, how can I do this? I mean, those are like, you know, half, that's half the ingredients of this dish. And so unfortunately, when I invited my friend Tamara over, it was pretty much just noodles with cheese and a little bit of olive oil because I couldn't think of another way to make it more vegetarian. So I don't think that really captured the the spirit of the of the dish but um but you know if if, unless you're a very strict vegetarian this is a good thing for you if you wanted to leave out the pancetta I'm sure you could and then you could still have the eggs and the cheese but that you'd have to add something else for salt or flavor I don't know if there's a a non-meat equivalent to to that kind of bacon but anyway so because these were some of my only dishes that I well, they were the only dishes that I learned to make from a from an actual Italian. It was this spaghetti carbonara, the polpette, the pepperoni, and the tiramisu. And I made tiramisu several times. Usually it was for parties and things that we'd be hosting in our house. I made the polpette quite a bit because that was delicious. My favorite way to make the polpette is when you... There were two, the two ways we learned to make it were one is little meatballs that you saute in a white wine, the Marseille Marcella that we would be adding to the tiramisu. And then the other way was to smash them a little bit flat. So you end up with these discs, cover them in breadcrumbs, and then fry them in sunflower oil with a little bit of, and serve them with parsley and lemon juice. That is my absolute favorite way to eat them. I love doing that. So I I would make the polpette quite a bit too, but not as often because it was a little bit more expensive because there's more meat there. But anyways, when I came back from Italy, (laughs) this was like my my signature dish because I'd practiced it all year long. I'd been cooking this stuff. And so I knew how to make it. The polpette and the carbonara, I could make offhand without even looking at the recipe because I'd made them so often. I'd memorized all the proportions and I could just tell by sight and weight what they were. And so that was pretty good. And so of course, you know, I'd go to friends' houses and they're like, oh yeah, let's cook some Italian food. And so I would, I would cook my carbonara and I'd cook the polpette and I, you know, amaze everybody with my authentic Italian food. It was pretty cool. And so that was one of the, the wonderful things that was, um, that I was able to share about my trip because not everybody is able to go to a foreign country. Some of those particular friends or family members had been to Italy and they're like, yeah, this is pretty authentic. This is what I remember. Others hadn't yet had a chance to go. So I was able to bring some of Italy to them, which was really great. And so another one of the memories I had of that, I'm trying to think of what it was. Yeah. I think that was pretty much the big thing that I wanted to talk about, how wonderful that that one particular dish was. And I was able to really share it with all of these groups, bring it from Italy to here, well, to, to the U.S. where I live, to, um, to keep a little bit of Italy with me. And so that's, that's one of the things I really remember about Italy. There's so many memories tied to food. I mean, not just that it's a big cult, food culture, but one of the big ways that you go out and spend time with friends is going to a thing called aperitivo. It's basically like a happy hour. And you go and for anywhere between five to 10 euros, you can go to a bar. They'll have food up on the side in like a little buffet banquet type situation. And you can go and fill your plate and sit there with your cocktail and have your aperitivo. Italians do this as like a pre-dinner. They'll have aperitivo goodness 
Sorry, guys, my alarm in the background. Um, so Italians will have this aperitivo around anywhere from like six to eight, maybe. It's meant to be a pre-dinner. And then they'll have dinner later, like maybe nine o'clock or, or, or later, depending on their schedule. And so um, we, though, the starving American students, would do this as like a dinner substitute because for five years, if you can go and have dinner and a cocktail, there is no better deal. And the most expensive one I knew about was 10 euros at least the, that the students would go to. I'm sure there were far more expensive ones, but the 10 euro one got you a very nice cocktail or wine or whatever you happen to drink and a massive buffet with an excellent chef. That was the best one that we knew about. It was right by our school. We were quite lucky. But usually we'd end up going to around like the $6, maybe the 7 or I'm sorry, euro, the 6 or 7 euro aperitivos with um, a slightly milder selection smaller plates they were trying to encourage people to have just a little bit <laughs> but we'd go back for more and you know kind of milk it so that was another fun Italian thing and unfortunately there's no real equivalent to that here in the states there's a happy hour but those are usually just discounts on drinks and smaller portions of food during a you know that window between like maybe or to 6.30 or 7 or something before the dinner rush. And so it, it's I've never found a happy hour in the States where I could get a large quantity of food and a drink for like the equivalent of 10 euros. Now that'd be about $12. I don't know any places. It could just be that I'm in a more expensive area. but um, And Florence was a much cheaper city than anywhere in Southern California by far but that's still something I miss so I couldn't bring aperitivo home I could bring the spaghetti carbonara and the polpette done two ways the pepperoni oh I didn't even talk about the pepperoni so basically it was a very very simple dish you basically just sliced all of the peppers very thin um, there's if you look at a bell pepper there's kind of like the bubbly bit on the top and the bottom Slice that bit off so you end up with the walls of the pepper, and you slice that part very thin. You can do thin slices of the top and the bottom if you can. And then we did a few different colors of peppers, some green, some yellow, some red. Mix them all together into a big saute pan. Cover it with a lid, and they'll basically just saute in their own juices for half hour 25 minutes or so depending on, on the heat and so you just kind of set those up and they're kind of cooking while you're doing the polpette in the preparation so yeah it all kind of came together and then at the very end you can stuff yourself with some delicious tiramisu which is always a, a delicious dessert so anyways I hope you've enjoyed listening to me talk about one of my favorite food memories some of the friends I got to share it with both in Italy and coming back to the states and Maybe eventually I'll do a video on how to make polpette. Let me know in the comments if you would like to see something like that. So thank you again for joining me. I am Liz, host of the Chit Chat Circus podcast. You can find the podcast on our own website, thechitchatcircus.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, tune in anywhere you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube as well. Join us on the Facebook page and the Facebook group if you'd like to weigh in on comments and start a discussion. What is your favorite Italian recipe? Have you been to Italy? Did you take a cooking class? If so, what did you learn to cook?
I would love to hear from you. So Wayne in the comments, thank you very much for tuning in and I will talk to you next time. Take care. Have a great day.